so good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm Joel. If you're joining us online, I'm so glad that you're here. We are reading through the Gospel of Luke chapter by chapter. Now, it's entirely possible that this question has crossed your mind. Pastor Joel, why is it that every single Sunday we read through this old book? That's a perfectly legitimate question. How many of you have seen the movie The Notebook? The Notebook. I see a few hands. Probably more women than men. It's, 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 it's a date movie. It's one of those romantic Hallmark movies and all. So some of us guys might not want to admit we've seen it. The Notebook begins with this elderly man who gets himself all ready, like he's on a date, and he goes to a nursing home. And he sits down and begins to read this old book to an elderly woman. The book is about this teenage girl named Allie who spends a summer in this small South Carolina town. And she falls in love with a teenage boy named Noah. Noah and Allie have this amazing summer romance and they plan their future. Noah plans to buy and restore this old historic house and to turn it into their dream home. Of course, life and love are never so simple in a broken world. Allie's parents are dead set against her marrying a lower class fellow and they forbid her to see him. Noah writes faithfully every day for a year and never realizes that Allie's mom is intercepting each and every letter. At the end of that year, he gives up. He heads off to fight in World War II. Allie ends up going off and she meets another suitor. Now Noah returns to the States and in hope he finds, he gets this old restored home, this home and he begins to restore it, turning it back into that dream home they imagined. Now meanwhile, just prior to her wedding, Allie happens upon a newspaper and she reads about the restoration of this old house. And it's a love story. You know what to expect. What comes next? She returns to find her first love and the place that he promised to prepare for her. What you might not expect is the return to the present day and the nursing home at the start. The old man reading the story is Noah, and the woman is Allie, but Allie has dementia. She has no idea that the man reading the story is her husband, has no idea that the story he is reading is her story. And then it happens. Allie hears something and she suddenly remembers who she is, who he is, and the great love that they had. And he turns on some music, and they just start dancing. It's absolutely wonderful. I admit I cried a little. But suddenly, Allie stops and starts screaming angrily at him as she backs away, like he's a total stranger. Five minutes, and she has forgotten him again. I couldn't help but notice that he stopped reading and Dolly forgot who he was and who she was. That's why we come here every Sunday, to have this old story read to us again and again and again, because it is here we find a book that knows us better than we know ourselves. And often the guy in the pulpit reading the story, he fades away. And we recognize the voice of our loving husband, our Lord Jesus. And we remember a love that overcomes a mansion prepared for us. And sometimes we walk out of here startled at how we could have ever forgotten. 
Maybe you've been forgetful this week. Let's pray that this book, right now what we're going to read, will awaken us to who we are and who we belong to. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you and we're in desperate need. We come to you humbly. We come to you confessing we're often like Alice in Wonderland. We're lost in a dream. We're either too big or too small. And we find ourselves in the wrong kingdom. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that amazing love that you have that would make us your children. Help us by giving your spirit that we may hear the voice of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might once again remember who we are and who we belong to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your bulletin or in your Bibles, and I remind you we have Bibles in the back to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 15 to 17. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that is Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We always face a danger when we look at a very small portion of scripture. You may have heard the saying that any text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And what that means is if we simply consider a few verses without considering what surrounds them, what the inspired author wrote before and after, We can end up drawing wrong conclusions and miss the big point. We have this wonderful scene describing Jesus and little children. Many picture books, songs have been written about Jesus' love for little children. And you would not be wrong to conclude that Jesus has blessings for our little ones. Jesus clearly says, let them come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. But this text is less about how big people are to be a help to the little people, verse 16, and more about how little people are to be a help to the big people, verse 17. Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is saying that children have something to teach us about how to enter the kingdom of God, how to receive eternal life. That is the main point of our text. How to enter the kingdom of God. That's the main point of this text. How to enter the kingdom of God. This passage is teaching us how a person enters heaven. And it's actually confirmed by the context. In the very next verse to follow, verse 18, a ruler will ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And last week, we met a Pharisee, a guy with a spiritual resume like a mile long of all the good things he'd done. He went to church all the time. He paid his tithe. He prayed. He fasted. Oh, and he was very thankful. He thanked God he wasn't like the sleazeball tax collector sitting in the back row. The guy, you know, doing the big ugly cry, beating on his breast. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus surprised everyone by saying the tax collector went home justified. The sleazeball who repented of his sins got into heaven. 
not the church guy. Friends, Luke wrote an orderly account. He says this right at the beginning. An orderly account so that we could have certainty about Jesus and his teaching. In chapters 18 and 19 are Jesus' final teachings prior to his entry into Jerusalem where he plans to die. Jesus is seeking to communicate the only way to enter the kingdom of God, which is through his death, while exploding all wrong-headed notions like that of the ruler. I mean, think about the ruler's question that I just said. What must I do to inherit? Think about that question. What do you do to inherit? You don't do anything. Someone else has to do something, namely die, in order for you to inherit. You see, we often come with the wrong questions about how to enter the kingdom of God. We often come with the wrong understanding of what God expects of us. Where did the ruler, where did the Pharisee go wrong? Well, they both thought God was essentially like Santa Claus. You know, he keeps a list of who's naughty and who's nice. The problem is, bad news, everyone, you're all on the naughty list. You've never done enough good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as Victor was teaching in Sunday school. Luke is showing us how entrance to the kingdom of God comes to those who look helplessly to God and admit they have nothing to offer. That's what sets the stage for this lesson from the little ones. Joel, what lesson can little ones possibly teach us? Here it is. You can never be too little to enter the kingdom of God, but you can be too big. You can never be too little to enter the kingdom of God, but you can be too big. You see, inflation has always been our most pressing problem, but not the kind that causes economic recession, rather the kind that produces spiritual regression and can often lead to eternal damnation. Wonderfully, we find in these three verses the cure to our inflation. Verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. We find in this scene parents trying to bring their little ones to Jesus so he might touch them. You find it's also in Mark and Matthew's, but Luke notes how small some of them are. He's the only one that says infants, and infants is a good translation here. The Greek here is brephe. The word actually he used back in chapter 1 to describe John the Baptist while John the Baptist was still in the womb. Arthur just notely writes, notes rightly that unborn babies are deemed by the Bible to be fully human persons. And even the little ones Jesus cares about. And that is what these parents believe to be true. I mean, can you picture the scene? I know Dave and Marianne can picture the scene because their children are famous come Christmas time. They play Mr. and Mrs. Claus at Navy Pier and they know the long lines of waiting parents with the little ones. These parents here in Luke have waited, they've walked a long distance possibly, waited in hope that their kids might have two minutes with Jesus. Two minutes sitting in his lap. Luke notes that they want Jesus to touch them, to lay his hands on them. These same hands that have raised the dead, that have healed the sick, that have broken bread for thousands. They have faith that Jesus can bless these little ones that they love like no one else with his mere touch. They bring their babies to Jesus. Let me ask you to remember your own story for a minute. Who was it that brought you to Jesus? Who was it that brought you to Jesus? 
I remember the day I was brought to Jesus. I was a little boy, and I went to my fish tank to feed my pet goldfish, Joseph. And there was no Joseph swimming in the tank. And I looked, and I looked, and looked, and I found him. He was on the floor, dead and dry. He'd hopped out of his tank. I was very upset. My mother came, and she comforted me in the face of this tragic death. And it was. I was tore up. And I asked her then, I don't know why, I asked her if I would die. And she told me yes. But my mom told me that Jesus came, he died for my sins, and he rose from the dead. So if I asked Jesus into my heart, I would live again after I died. So I asked Jesus, right there with my mom sitting on a chair in her kitchen, I asked Jesus into my heart. Remembering this as I was working the sermon, I thanked my mom last week for bringing me to Jesus. So who brought you to Jesus? I would encourage you to thank them if it's possible and also to give thanks to God for them. Someone brought you to Jesus. Perhaps long ago, maybe you were a little child. Maybe you don't remember a day when you didn't go to church, but somebody was bringing you to Jesus. Maybe you went to church camp or VBS. Maybe a college friend shared the gospel with you. You realize nobody gets to Jesus on their own. Even if it was an old book that you read, somebody wrote that book and brought you to Jesus. And out of gratitude, we ought to own our privilege to bring others as well, just like these parents. And I praise you parents who recognize your children need Jesus more than anything else. You get them ready on a Sunday, that's not always easy. You bring them here to hear the old book. Talk about it with them afterwards. I applaud you because that's very countercultural today. Our culture says that the most important thing for your kids is a good education, career, and lots of fun activities. By bringing them here, you say what's most important is not the temporal things, but an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's actually counterculture in this day as well to bring kids to Jesus. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, this is a different kind of countercultural. You see, children were not valued in this culture like the little idols we make them today. Children were actually on the low rung of the social strata. In the Roman world, infanticide was common. And I mean after they were born. Children were valued, even in this Hebrew culture, only once they could begin to contribute. That is why when the disciples see these parents with kids, they rebuke them. We see from Jesus' response, the disciples, they don't think these kids can be a help to the kingdom of God. They may be trying to help. They may think that they're trying to do the right thing. Some selective crowd control. They're starting to prioritize folks, maybe. Mama, take your little one and please go. We're in the business of bringing in the kingdom. Don't you realize we're almost to Jerusalem? This child can do nothing but take up Jesus' very valuable time. Hey, Philip, I see a ruler over there who I think we need to bump up the priority status. He might be able to get us a platform in Jerusalem. Good sir, please hold on a minute. Jesus will see you next. Move on, little kids. And Jesus puts a quick stop to all this nonsense. Verse 16, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the little let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. This is a wonderful encouragement to all you parents. First Jesus makes clear that he wants your children to be in his presence. He wants to touch them. Even if they're an infant 
Jesus' blessing is available to them. And they may well be able to respond to that in ways you don't know. We just sang Psalm 8 because it proclaims how infants and babes proclaim God's praise. And I suspect we often may be wrong in our assessment of little children. Oh, they can't think it. I think N.T. Wright gave a helpful illustration when he had two children blow up balloons. The second child was told to stop after a couple of puffs. The other child puffed and puffed until this balloon is great, big, and enormous. And then he asked everyone, so which balloon is fuller? To which everyone said, the enormous balloon. And he said, are you sure? They're both full. All the space in them is used up. And the point he was making is that even little children can be full of the love of God. And as they grow, we need to be continually bringing them to Jesus so they can be filled with more and more love as they discover all he's done for them. This is why we baptize babies of believers. I found something interesting as I was going through the Greek. Jesus says, don't hinder them. And Luke uses this word three times in Acts with the Ethiopian eunuch and Cornelius and the people he comes with. And each time he's saying, what hinders them from being baptized? I'm convinced Luke is making a connection. Infants of believers are to receive the save covenant sign that all of God's family has. They belong to the family, and they can take hold of the promises no less than you and I. In fact, they're freely offered. Luke is the only one who makes the note of even infants being brought to Jesus. I think that also tells us that it's actually Jesus who first makes the decision for our children before we should expect our children to make a decision for Jesus. I love this scene, just thinking about, picture Jesus individually, one after another, laying his hands on these little ones crying and squirming. Joel, what's this about? Well, I think we can unpack a lot here with this laying of his hands on them. But let's remember that question about the ruler and inheriting eternal life. The only way you inherit something is if the owner of that thing dies. We could recall elderly Isaac in Genesis laying his hands on his son Jacob. And Jacob received the blessings of God before his father died. He inherited those blessings after the hands were laid upon him. And here, can you see the little one looking up at his creator? who's actually holding all these galaxies in place. Who also took to himself human hands. Hands that our loving Lord might be able to touch this little life. So small. And hands that in a matter of weeks are going to have spikes driven through them. As Jesus' body is suspended upon the cross at Calvary, where he will die to pay for the sins of this little one and for you and for I, all who believe in him. There's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Jesus has to die and rise again in order for his eternal blessings to come to anyone. You and I are entirely dependent and helpless in our entry into the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus means in verse 17. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Notice Jesus is putting emphasis on verse 17 with this truly at the start. The King James day that I grew up in, I'd be a verily here to get my attention. Jesus is calling us to learn from children how to enter the kingdom of heaven. How are we to receive as a child? 
by recognizing our passive helpless dependence. B.B. Warfield has this great quote. Listen to this. Into this kingdom, we can enter only as poor and naked and helpless as children enter the world. That we have nothing is the condition that we may have all things. You get that? That we have nothing is the condition that we might have all things. That is the gospel. That is how we come to God with empty hands. You come to Jesus as the old hymn says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. You see where the disciples went all wrong? When they try to shoo the kids away? They have an inflation problem. They are allergic to the idea of being helpless, of being naked, of being foul. That God gets all the glory in our salvation and we get nothing to boast in. Zero. But these are the conditions of eternal life. That we have nothing. And that's the good news. And friends, if we don't hold fast to it, we will not be able to bless others as we have been blessed. We see this from this example here. Our vision committee actually went over the statistics last week of this population right in this area, people in this area. It's a shifting population. Do you know the number one reason people in this community don't come to church? Christians are too judgmental. Churches are not welcoming. Now, I have no rebuke for us here at Heart City Church. I give thanks to God for how loving you are. I see people come in here, and I've always watched you guys love on them. We've got to keep that out in front of us. Because we can easily forget what the disciples forgot. They learned about this just in the last chapter. Jesus said, don't cause one of my little ones to stumble. And back in chapter 9, Jesus said, as an argument, let me read it. As an argument rose among them as to who was the greatest. The disciples are arguing. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their heart, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. The disciples forgot that leastness equals greatness. That's what greatness in the kingdom of God is. The disciples are here. They're busy trying to climb over one another to get to the top of the ladder. And Jesus says, if you're my disciple, you're going to get off the ladder altogether and you're going to become less to help those who can't even reach the first rung. Actually, that's what Jesus did. <laughs> he was at the very top of the ladder. Read Philippians 2, 6 through 11. He came down where all of us were. I think it's interesting that Luke 9, how Jesus says that to welcome the child is to welcome him and his father. Notice the intimate connection. The child matters greatly to the father and the son. So how we receive the least and the little 
reveals how well we understand Jesus and also the extent of his kingdom grace. Friends, God's grace and understanding that is what keeps us the proper size. Realize, I found this scene to be harsh. It's actually harsher in other Gospels. Jesus gets indignant in Mark's Gospel. Only time you find that word, he gets indignant at his disciples. Because his disciples are pronouncing a graceless verdict on little ones. They're saying, unworthy. Little ones, you are helpless and needy. You are only a burden. You can contribute nothing to the kingdom of God work, so you cannot come. What makes this shocking is they just heard two stories where God's verdict was the exact opposite. Chapter 18, we have a poor widow who experienced an injustice. She was vulnerable, weak, and alone. An adversary saw this and pounced and took advantage. And she went to a judge for help. And he was despicable, refused to help her. But Jesus wanted us to learn from this sufferer. Jesus showed us in the powerless widow that we must be a people of persistent prayer. Because then when the verdict came down, we saw this widow saint was vindicated. And we had the story of the tax collector begging God for mercy while Mr. Despicable Pharisee was busy bragging on all the things he could do that he couldn't. But we learned from the sinner, didn't we? Because the verdict came down and we saw that God vindicates saints who see themselves as sinners. But the disciples, by choosing greatness over leastness, they become judges with evil thoughts, as James talks about. They take up the position of the despicable judge, not important enough. They take up the position of the Pharisee, not good enough. And they pronounce a judgment on those who Jesus loves. Friends, let's not be forgetful disciples. How do we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus is showing us by persistent prayer, by humble repentance, and by dependent faith, like little children. I want to close by doing something I can only do while we're still a small church. James says in chapter 2, verse 13, that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. And I want you to take a hold of a promise today that will help you remember that. You see, we all have funnels in our heads. I think that's a way of thinking about it. What do you mean, Joel, by funnels? You all have had judgments placed on you. Maybe as a child. Maybe you heard those words come at you from people you cared about or were significant in your life. Not good enough. Not important enough. Pitiful. Stupid. Sinner. People have judged you, and you still hear voices today. It's like a funnel. You hear everything through these past verdicts, like a funnel in your head, and it shapes your identity far often. I was watching a movie last week with my wife called Red Notice, and Ryan Reynolds' character, he's this big thief, and he has this moment where he opens up to why he became a thief. As a child, his father's prized watch went missing, And his father accused him of stealing it, called him a thief. So for a year, his father refused to speak to him. And then his father found the watch. He just misplaced it. Come out wearing it on and tried to pretend like it never happened. And Ryan was scarred. And he let that define the rest of his life. 
Maybe you get that. I get that. Maybe you get the widow. You were dealt a bad hand in life, and then you were treated like you don't matter. Maybe you get the tax collector. <laughs> you lived a really bad life, and people still judge you for your past. Maybe you feel like the infants, and all you feel is weak and a burden to everyone. And everything you hear today comes through those funnels. And you end up tuning out the old story because of it. That makes you forget your identity in Christ. Let me just ask you, what are the lies you tend to believe? Someone can say, what a great job you did at something, but all you can hear is not good enough. Then we tell you how much they appreciate or love you, and all you hear is not important enough, not worthy. Someone says, not bad. And all you hear is, try harder. What are the lies you're prone to believe? The good news is, that doesn't have to be your story. There's a better one and a better verdict. Jesus entered history so that his story could become your story. And that's how we find eternal life. But we're all prone to forget because we listen to the voices of judgment or temptations to pride. Jesus has a better verdict for each and every one of us, and Jesus wants to place his blessing on you today. And I'm going to come and deliver Jesus' blessing to each and every one of you, and something may happen. You might feel a resistance inside. You may want to run. Don't run. I'm pretty fast. Perhaps you'll feel it's too good to be true for poor you. Or maybe you won't think you need it. That's inflation right there. Because you've worked hard, you're pretty confident, you've got the world by the tail. You don't feel really like you really need it. Well, trust me, you do. Because all your confidence, all your strength will fail you one day. Whatever it is, I want you to distrust yourself. To become like a dependent child. Take in the voice of your Savior. And all you have to do is believe it and receive it in dependent faith. Nanette DeBeau. I'll try to correct. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the verdict of Jesus for you. Sam. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that you might be holy and blameless in him. Victor, the verdict's in. Victor Yoder, you have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Jamie Irvin, you have been raised with Christ, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesse Liddell, you have been justified, granted peace with God, and you have access into the grace in which you now stand. Dennis Nymphs, you are a beloved child of God and a child of life. The verdict is in. 
Mike Alby, don't run. <laughs> You're a living stone, chosen and precious in God's sight. Mary Fogel, you are a temple, a dwelling place of God. His spirit and his life dwell in you. Emmeline Brown, you are the apple of your heavenly father's eye. Matt Brown, you are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Nathan Brown, the verdict from heaven's end, you are a fellow citizen with all the heavenly saints and a member of God's household. Sarah Brown, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Praise the Lord. Mark Vogel, guess what? You are a friend of Jesus. John 15, 15. My buddy Dallas, you have been reconciled to God and are a minister of reconciliation now and an ambassador for Christ. Camber guy can't escape me. Uh Dave Scheel, you are a child of God, an heir of God, and a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. Marianne, guess what? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. Candy Jordan, Christ Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you that he might sanctify you, having cleansed you that you might be splendid, holy, and without blemish. Christine Jordan, you are a child of God, loved by him, and you're looking forward to the day when you will be made just like Jesus. This is what happens when you're last to church. You might end up last in the blessing line, but you're still blessed. Doug Unger, you are chosen, a royal priest, a member of a holy nation, and God's special possession. And Trish Unger, you have been made alive in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and seated in the heavenly places. Praise be to God. Little children, remember that it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So carry these blessings with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for our Lord Jesus who has laid his hands on each and every one of us. And I pray that as we take these blessings, we hear these promises, that we'll in fact embrace them and allow them to be the thing that shapes us as we go out into the world. Lord, When we know we're accepted by you, we do not become dependent upon the world for 
anything about our identity because, Lord, we can rest in you knowing that we're greatly loved and you're bringing us into your eternal kingdom. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to leave this place not being childish, but rather being childlike, knowing that one day none of us will be parents or preachers or anything else other than we'll all be children of you, our Heavenly Father, forever. And we look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.